Hello, greetings, and welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. This episode is episode number 71. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm sitting down with Sam Dosa for a great conversation about how an IT professional became a coach within the youth sector under the banner Kindle Your True Power, and how in his 12 years of extensive public experience, he has not only trained and spoken to, but helped inspire more than 8,000 young adults by focusing on how he can provide experience and connect with others using the lessons he's learned from his own personal story. Sam Dosa is on a mission to change minds, change hearts, and empower the frame of possibility that exists within us all. Thank you for joining me, and I invite you now to listen to my conversation with Mr. Sam Dosa. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome from wherever and whenever you are, be it the twilight hours or the middle of your day. Welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. Today I'm sitting down with Sam, who has a very interesting story and one that I'm happy to share with you today, one that I look forward to digging into a bit because I feel it begins in a great place and the trajectory that we continue on is one I'm looking forward to hearing more and sharing with you today. Uh, let me go ahead and introduce Mr. Sam Dosa. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? Uh, you know... I'm learning to get very comfortable within the walls of my house. So I, like many Americans right now, the pandemic has led to a uh, shelter in place, and that's meant a lot of inside time. Mm -hmm. How are things over there in the UK? It's pretty, um, well, we have a sort of a little of leniency, we call it. Uh, well, we are allowed to go to... Uh, uh, park uh, or we are allowed to go and get some uh, food uh, from the shopping centers so we still have not properly properly locked down but i think uh, government are uh, issuing some strict measures now to close upon all sort of areas where people are gathering at the moment so it's happening over here within indoors uh, i will share a lot of things what is happening within indoors so uh sit back and uh, enjoy the journey with us <laughs> indeed indeed but uh all journeys require a beginning and Absolutely. i would like to start out with the fact that you have a, a very interesting set of titles from dynamic and creative coach to influencer to public speaker and that all appeared to start around 2002 but i'd like to get a snapshot if you don't mind of what led up to uh, the events in 2002 that set you on this path to becoming these three different, very distinctive, yet also uh, very collaborative uh, job titles and responsibilities. What sure. was your uh, what was your path like before 2002? So uh, I'm not a, a British born, uh, call it a, Brit a British born. I'm, I'm a Pakistani. I was born in Pakistan uh, in 1969, and uh, uh, the journey begins, and uh, I, well, 
it's quite an interesting journey, I will say, because I was working in quite uh, different areas within Pakistan. I worked in quite international companies, and um, I did not meet my first wife in any sort of what you call it uh, uh, on a job or something like that. I met her in a a community setting where we all go together for congregations and prayers and everything like that. And she actually was British and she used to come and visit her grandparents from London. Uh, and at that time when we were young, we used to play together. And I never thought of that I would be sitting in the UK because I'm going to get married to my uh, friend who was in Pakistan playing with me. Uh, as been a shy boy since the beginning, I never interacted with girls so closely. But as you can understand, uh, we can be introvert, but sometimes you have to be extrovert in different areas. And uh, sometimes when you come to that point um, where you have to take a plunge and ask. So I put my all energy together and ask her whether I can uh, um, see you or take you out or something like that for which she says yes and then the rest of history or rest of history is that I managed to move to UK in 1996 and uh, been born and brought up in Pakistan in the, under a beautiful sun and a beautiful sky and everything coming to UK was another adventure for me because um, I felt that I am in heaven because there was no sun and I thought it, it's a beautiful day for me without the sun and I was being stopped and says, Are you, you must be crazy that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you left sun and you are enjoying this weather in UK is pouring down is there were so many wrong words at that time being used but at that time I was in a completely different mindset I said well there is no sun I'm feeling the romances in this atmosphere and my my that wife was says to me you must be crazy and I said no you don't know because I spent 26 years in under the sun and I know how I feel so long story short time started to move on uh, and then um I started to think of uh, um, the new country as a new uh, opportunity. But again, when you move from a comfort of your own settings, where you have your family, when you have your friends, when you have your all your surroundings, which is so perfectly connected. And when you come to a country where you have to start completely new, only you have your uh, wife with you, and you think about it, okay, um, how I'm going to find myself uh, a new path or new um, connections with others. And that was a difficult time. And, uh, and I'm talking about 1996. At that time, there were a lot of uh, uh, things were going on in the UK. Uh, we had some uh, racial abuse. We had some sort of things going on at that time. And finding a job wasn't very easy at that time. But luckily, I was uh, uh, back in back in Pakistan. I learned some new skills in softwares, and also I was in IT. And <clears throat> my word word processing speed was quite good; it was 50 word per minute at that time. So I managed to find some jobs, which were clerical clerical jobs, 
in in the government and i find myself to be stable for a little while until um until the job i jo i lost the job because um sometimes we only thought is for a we have to, when we go into the job we think okay this going to job will last me forever but not realizing that the 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 society changes, the government changes, and a lot of things happens. And at that time, I was new, was trying to capture or grasp what is UK look like in a new country. Everybody was uh, talking in different accents, like uh, people in different accents, like I'm talking about Scottish, Irish, uh, South London, uh, North London, East London. So me from Pakistan, basic English, uh, even though I was surrounded by a lot of foreigners because I was working in a multinational company coming to this country was like okay somebody says something to me and I says excuse me what you're talking about so that was <laughs> that was a journey for me and realizing at that time when I was going through with those sort of things when you go to the shop when you the way you speak the way you say things people take a mockery of you and then you feel like you must be wrong because there was no encouragement there was no nothing and and I felt that not only myself, like me, I gone through with that sort of a journey. It must be there are millions of people who are coming from different countries and how they are trying to accommodate themselves to this country, how they find themselves to uh, get settled in this country, whether they just go for the lower job and they stick to that job for the rest of their life. That could be one way of doing it. But other way around is how you pursue your career uh, how you pursue your ambitious, uh, if you are ambitious, how you're being ambitious about your career or your life and everything. So my journey continues with that. And uh, during that phase, actually, I lost the job. And what I'm trying to put some few things over here in my story is, you know, depression is also one of the key area where a man and a woman goes through with their journey. And a lot of people do not talk about those things. But in my life, I have gone through with those sort of ups and downs. And further down the uh, challenges, or I, would call, I don't call my, my life in challenges, I call them adventures. Because we all go through with a lot of challenges, but I call them adventures. And adventures were uh, good adventures, or they were not very good adventures, but they were adventures in my life. And I enjoyed those adventures. I'm a proud father of three children, um, and uh, and this all come together going forward in life. Uh, have a faith in yourself and faith in the the Creator who has created you, and this goes on with this journey. My journey continues with good adventures and bad adventures in life. And moving forward, what happened was that in 1998, we were blessed with a, a new house. And in 2000, we were blessed with our first daughter, which was a millennium, millennium baby. And that was the journey from where the new uh, phase started in my life uh, in terms of having a newborn and also looking at how I'm going to see further down the line in my life. Um, that was 
quite uh, interesting because during the birth of my daughter, my mom came from Pakistan to uh, support us with the, with the delivery and everything. And again, on the same episode, we found out that my, do- my mother was suffering with depression at that time. And nobody actually picked up very clearly that what's, what's going on with her. During that period, um, my mother stayed with us from September till, well, she came before the pregnancy, which, was, which means she came around July. And my daughter was born in September. So she stayed till October and she left us for going back home because my father was not very well back home because he was supposed to join us in London. Uh, then my, my father started to get really serious and we lost him in November, end of November. And I was there uh, at his bedside and um, my daughter was with my my, my first partner, and she went to see her sister. She was staying there. And then when my, pa- when my father passed away, it was like a vacuum for my mother. And my mother could not conceive that sort of a vacuum. And it started to bite her because every time she looked at it and she says she's completely alone. And that actually triggered a lot of things for her. Uh, because we, I was in, 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 in the U.K., she was in Pakistan with my brothers. I was having a communication with them, but there was no proper dialogue with them. Even though I, I, I went back a few times, but then still there was no uh, a sort of understanding that where my mother was standing at that time. Even though we have in our family, there were two key professionals, health professionals. My, my ex-wife was a nurse and my sister sister-in-law was a nurse as well and even though they did not pick it up that my mother was suffering from a very severe depression at that time so life goes on as you get really busy with your kids with your life with your job and you know as a man we suffer a lot of things but we never articulate because we only think that we have to be strong for our family. And that's the biggest mistake we do in our life. Uh, we are human beings as well, and we have emotions as well. We have to understand that we are, look at it, what has happened. Even though I was suffering within myself, I could not articulate with others that what has happened. You feel ashamed that somebody so close to you have done something like this. and. During that period, you know, you always think that, oh, my God, this is really the truth. Or am I, am, am, am I actually in a sort of a, a sort of a, I'm dreaming. Am I dreaming or is it real? And then I realize it's all real. But because the twins arrived after two weeks, my entire focus went straight into my twins. And, you know, during that period, I was thinking what has happened and why this happened to my mother. Is it because that we were not very connected or we did not listen to her or we were not aware of her, what's going on? Even though two professionals were in the house and they did not pick it up from her, 
And that actually opened a lot of doors in terms of if this is what is happening, how many others are suffering like that in a dark space? What sort of mental awareness is available to a lot of people? I think mental awareness started to getting into more shape after 2008 onwards, I think, or 10 onwards. Prior to that, there was not that much mental awareness, how people were suffering. I have first-hand experience of mental breakdown within the office settings from a lot of people within my office. And I've seen a lot of people were going through with uh, hardship. They were on a Prozac and they were coming to work and they could not do their jobs. But nobody actually had this opportunity to say to them, you know what, you take time out and recover yourself. And that hurt me a lot during that period. As I focused more towards my kids and then moved towards my career, I started to think, how can I help others in this sort of a scenario? And gone through with my own journey within IT industry. And I thought, you know what, I've been in the IT industry for the last 18, 19 years. I have to branch out to help others with my skills in terms of resilience, in terms of listening, in terms of communication, and how I can help people who are suffering. So I have completed some uh, diplomas in counseling and uh, in learning uh, adult education and started my coaching journey to help young minds youth sector and within my workplace we were being offered to go and do voluntary services so i started doing voluntary service in the schools where i used to communicate with them teach them listen to them articulate are teaching them how to articulate themselves the best part was that there were a lot of children who were being secluded from the classes because of their behavior because each class has about 32, 35 children, and there was one teacher and one assistant, and not everybody have this one-to-one attention. And we are talking about teenagers. We are not talking about young children. And teenager has a lot of imbalance about their, their own body, their own, uh, we call it, uh, emotions coming in and out. And one teacher can't actually be able to handle. So what they have to do is they have to take them out from the class so they can go into a completely different class where... They have been men handled by people and they were being given sort of a detention all the time. During that journey, um, I met uh, one of my good friends and we thought about very hard that how we can help those people. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. And then we started a charity called Empowering Youth in London where we used to go to schools and spend a couple of hours every week where we used to bring all those children which have been secluded from the class, even there were no funding. We were trying to put money from our own pocket to help those children. And that gave me uh, some sort of, uh, you know, aim in my life to other help others with my knowledge, with my ability with my vision to support those children to support those people 
and we started to do uh, artwork within these settings. We do mindfulness, we do coaching, we do counseling. And now looking back, those children has completed so many things in their life. They are well-educated and it started to continue those journeys upon. And I managed to counsel or I managed to support about 8,000 youth and I'm still continuing that. I'm part of a mentorship group within UK and I'm helping a lot of uh, youth. And that become my pinnacle in my life that if I will support one person who will become something, I have achieved my aim and my vision. And that's been my journey for from since 2002 onwards. And that becomes my way of articulating. I'm not always being that, what I call it, very strong in articulating myself. I've gone through my own journeys as well. Mm. And when you lost your mother and when you are going through with your personal journeys as well, when you're having some unsettled discussion with your partner and and then you're having an argument and sort of things and your, uh, your partner tell you that because, you know, you have these sort of things in your family, why don't you go and see your see the doctor? So when I see, went to see the doctor, my doctor actually prescribed me Prozac straight and asked me to go and see some counseling, done some counseling done. So I thought, okay, uh, but I did not took any Prozac because I had this belief in myself that this will not going to help me besides my faith. And I did actually went back to my rituals to do mindfulness, to do prayers, to do other things, helping others. And that kept me out from that sort of medical medicine or something like that. And I think I remember those days when I was going through with so much hardship in my life. And I was looking for avenues where I can articulate myself and I did not have any articulation of group of people or group of men where they can say, okay, man, Sam, talk to us, you know. We are going through with the same sort of journey. We do not know how to articulate ourselves, how to say those sort of things. And I was so much craving for those things at that time because I was going through with so much pain, so much pain. And you can imagine we men actually keep everything inside. We, we, we keep it, we suppress everything. And we show the, the biggest smile on our face or biggest uh, happiness on our face that everything is fine, everything is good. I can hold on to those sort of things but not realizing that what you're doing is you are killing yourself inside. You have nothing left inside you. You're just trying to project. Everything is fine. Everything is hunky-dory. Everything is perfect. But within yourself, you are killing yourself. So I started a journey where I started reading personal help books. I started listening to some uh, great speakers. Uh, Brian Tracy, uh, Tony Robbins, um, Deepak Chopra, um, couple of, uh, then I started moving into Sufism, sort of listening to Rumi and a couple of others. And that helped me to understand that right now, 
we, 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 let's talk about what we are going through right now. Let's in, in, input that is inside right now. We are sitting within our own shells right now and feeling so much so that feeling unwanted sometimes because job market has crashed. Every sort of things are getting crashed right now and a lot of people are suffering at the moment and thinking what's going to happen now, whether what time we are going to go back to work, whether is there a, a light at, at the end of the tunnel or not. Because at this moment, people have to go inside, inside themselves. While we are sitting in our house, what are the key things which you can do to uplift your mental health, your physical health, with your emotional health? These are three areas. We talk about mind, body, and spirit. And these are the th three key factors, how you're going to engage those three things. And because if you look within yourself, you will find answer to everything. You can find answer to everything. There is a quote from Rumi. I'm seeking. I'm a seeker, but the seeker is seeking you. Because we are seeking something, but the seeker is seeking us. But there's a very deep meaning of that, if somebody understands that. And that's what happened to me. When I started journey of finding myself, then realizes that I am number one. If I do not look after myself in terms of my health, in terms of my emotional health, in terms of my mental health, how am I going to help others? It's very easy to help a lot of people saying that, oh, what's your problem? I can help you. But we never look at our own problem because we are scared of our dealing with our own problems. We're always trying to help others. What is easy to find support to others besides help, finding help yourself. And that's what I did. I started looking at within myself and started thinking, if I'm going to be strong, then I'm going to help my family. If I'm going to be strong mentally, uh, spiritually and physically, I'm going to help everybody. Besides, if I'm not going to be healthy enough, I'm going to support others. And then you do start thinking of giving more from your heart. And you started receiving Lord in your heart and saying, wow, I'm fulfilling a lot of lives right now and supporting a lot of people. And that begins a different journey in my life. As I said, I was blessed with twins, three daughters in my life. My, my marriage did not last more than 17 years, and I'm thankful for that. You know, We have to be thankful what has happened in our life. We, if we do not move forward with life, how are we going to survive in our life otherwise? What happens to my mother? She goes through with her own journey. She did a suicide. What is tells me that, Sam, you have the responsibility to support others, that no other person can go through with the same thing what my your mother did. And that's why on so many times on my my social media platform, I send a message saying that I'm here to listen to you. Call me. Do not despair yourself. When you're ready, just call me. I'm going to listen to you unjudgmental. There is no judge, judging about anything. We are all humans. We are all connected with one one code of atom. 
because we are all connected with this divine light which is spreading around the globe and we can share our journey with each other with our thoughts to others sam that's an amazing introduction um <laughs> and, and quite a journey and there's some interesting points that i would love to just sort of uh, touch back on sure first off i'm intrigued because uh, when you were describing meeting your first wife you were talking about uh initiating what some might call courtship Mm -hmm. and and i'm always intrigued because i remember when i was uh much younger and maybe in like junior high high school you started hearing the term oh they're going out which meant that they were a couple Mm -hmm. um not even in a time when maybe you could drive but Mm -hmm. coupling was part of how we define things um and then later it became as i got into my like late teens early 20s the idea wasn't so much dating that was too formal we would say things like seeing someone i'm seeing Mm -hmm. this person Uh, i was curious was there a term because you mentioned that you were going out or seeing uh speaking or seeking to speak with your first wife was there a term like a uh a family community term that was used to define what that relationship would be like when you first started seeing someone's there a term that you and your friends would use to describe it like like my uh you know friends did going out or seeing someone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so because within the close community uh, because she came she used to visit from london and uh she used to visit her grandparents and she used to come and play at the younger age. But then when we go older and she came back and she was uh, um, staying with her grandparents and I, well, you know, what happened is sometimes initiation happened from some other side as well. Um, my first was that, okay, she here, just let's see how everything rolls, what the universe want from us. I left it like that, and I had a message from her uh, her aunt. Oh, she's back uh, from her holiday. Uh, are you free to come and see her? And say, okay, I'll I'll come and uh, say hello to her. And everything started. Uh, the the entire universe started to rolls on that. Actually, I think what happened is, uh, sometime your destiny. You don't know where your destiny ends up, and I I distinctly remember that at that time. Uh, at that time, I was going out with somebody else who was a Canadian, <laughs> and and then suddenly she came from UK, and everything started to change, and I ended up in UK, and this all what you call it uh, <laughs> happened. I don't know what is it happened for the good reason. It happened for better for me. And I, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I say I'm blessed that I'm here in the UK. And we were, we were being told that, oh, you're going out. You can't just go out like that. You need to get engaged or something like that. You can't just flung around with, with this girl because everybody in the, in the community look at this as something quite uh, differently because within the community, it's not like that, that you have somebody every next week or something like that or every other month because it looked very shameful if you do those sort of things in our community in our culture so yeah i was being told upon that oh so you're going out with her now 
And I used to say, no, no, she's just my friend. She's just, just my friend. I never used to acknowledge that she is my going to be my partner for my life at that time. But I do find it interesting that you brought up the idea that one of the reasons why uh, you were encouraged to use a different term to describe things is because using a term like friends wasn't appropriate for what others in the community believed the relationship needed to be defined as. And yeah. also it was based on an idea of shame, which I think is really important because you're also talking about a community, which is where your mother was trying to process her grief after the death mm -hmm. of your father. Mm -hmm. And if that's a community where ideas like shame are very prevalent, then it must be equally difficult for her to try and address an idea like depression when mm -hmm. ideas like depression may or may not be acceptable in a small community. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was you're just, uh, right. Yeah, you're right was, about that one. Because depression at that time was not something people would talk about. People uh, within within a lot of societies, let's uh, look at, uh, because uh, being, being in Pakistan, being a Muslim, uh, we look at uh, depression is not sort of, a, a sort of a problem. What we call it, this is a, a completely different set of things at that time. So say so you might have some sort of a, a disalignment in your life or something like that. People don't understand the, the, the terms as called it depression. They call it, uh, what you call it, uh, you are disaligned in your faith or something like that. So they put everything on your faith instead of saying that in scientifically, you are going through with the depression right now. And doctor will not assess it correctly because we are not going to a, a specialist. We are just going to a general practitioner. A general practitioner look at you and just say, okay, this is opening. You might have to take X, Y, Z thing. Everything will be fine. That's... And we in, in back home, we look at our doctors like gods over there. What doctor says is perfectly fine. We don't have to use our own intellect. That's where the biggest hole, the biggest uh, vacuum comes in from a lot of cultures where we always believe on somebody's ideology, but never use our own intellect on those sort of things. Certainly. Um, oh, sounds like someone's getting a bit honky back there. Uh, <laughs> I, I would also imagine, though, that then that creates a problem where oh, something's happening. Um, yeah, somebody is outside and <laughs> making a big loud noise over here. He's having a party. Apparently. Hey, yeah. um, you know, everyone's finding their ways to process our, our lives right now. Uh, I was curious, though, with the idea that um, if if what's being described or defined for you when you're mm -hmm. facing something like depression mm -hmm. is uh, an idea like disalignment of faith, that also mm -hmm. feels like a judgment, which yes. can make it very difficult to try and deal with the fact that you're trying to understand what you're experiencing and how to deal with it, but you're being told by others it's something that you're causing. It's a, a fault on your part, mm -hmm. um, something that's a failing or a weakness and in addition, it's not something that can be treated by your local physician or doctor. And essentially, if you presented this to a doctor and they tell you you're fine, you're trying to understand how you can be fine when you don't feel fine. But the highest ranking authority in medicine is telling you that everything's OK. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
And um, and then, you know, also, if if any of the members of your family who are part of the you mentioned that there were two who were part of the health care community mm-hmm. are also in that same sort of training, even if they're within, you know, a foot of the person who's suffering, if they don't have a term other than what they've been trained in, mm-hmm. they can't identify any concern or problem, let alone any sort of clues that something more drastic might be um, down the road, which is uh, which is really difficult because now you're you're trying to deal with the the, the loss of your mother in a very mm-hmm. tragic way, in a very mm-hmm. painful way, mm-hmm. knowing that she needed help but couldn't get it, mm-hmm. and also the fact that there isn't a system in place to actually address what her condition was or how to treat it let alone do anything more than that. Uh, I imagine that must have been a challenge for you while trying to, you know, process the the loss of your mother and then turning around and having uh, the the birth of your twin daughters to suddenly, you know, put all of your energy into. Yeah. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. It was it was what you call it uh, like putting your mind to one thing instead of going through with that sort of uh, um, bereavement because you never, I never breathed with those things because my mom passed away and you always look at it, how you're going to close that chapter. And that chapter was never closed completely until, uh, until I got divorced, until I got divorced. You can imagine that journey from 2004 till 2013 that journey has been a roller coaster for me, you know, balancing my own emotions, balancing on my emotions of my three children, then my ex-wife, and then a lot of things were going on between both of us. And so it, it was a roller coaster ride. And that's why I was at that time was looking at the avenues where I can articulate myself to, to, to people and say, listen, I'm going through with a lot of uh, negativity in my mind. I never used to think straight about things. I use always you to get uh, point upon that you are making wrong decisions. But you can imagine if I'm going through with this sort of how many millions of people are going through with the same sort of a journey and they are not getting a right things in their their life, whether it might be a right partner or it might be a right medical doctor, or it might be a right avenue for them to articulate themselves and that's why I think people are doing a lot of suicide on the globe because they can't and uh, can't articulate themselves I understand now what I'm also really interested in mm-hmm. is what you're talking about right now which is important which is the transition when you started mm-hmm. taking the idea of what was going on with you Mm-hmm. And began looking at how it must be if you're one person among millions and billions mm-hmm. on the planet, mm-hmm. how many others must be going through the same struggles you are? Mm-hmm. And you chose to start out with youth. Yeah. What 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 compelled you? Was there something also going on where you were able to see things either through your own children or you started thinking about how early this sort of uh, challenge can begin? Depression. Uh, self-acceptance, those can be struggles that kids can face at early ages. Was there a direction in that? Did you have a group you were meeting with? Because you also mentioned there was a partner. How did this path towards working with kids sort of uh, 
navigate its way to where you were doing as much as you are and over 8,000 children you've worked with and helped mm-hmm. and coached. Um, how did, how did you take this idea of, you know, there must so, be more people who need help? Yeah. So within, within the, within the setting, within the community, which I belongs to, which has this motto where we call it uh, working in voluntary sector, where we help uh, elderly, we help in the community settings where we do sort of a duties like uh, parking. We have this duties like helping elderly, teaching them uh, different skill sets. Um, we also also youth within that setting where we teach them uh, about uh, about the what you call it um, um, the educational factor within the evenings or not evenings in the weekends. So they have special mm-hmm. classes where they learn something new about everything, and that's where I started to capture a lot of things where there is a hysterical approach of children towards their mother or their father. And then also meeting my friend, when I was doing my counseling diploma, I met this woman and we became very good friends. And we started thinking about how this is affecting our youth at this present moment, because she had four children and I had three. And then we thought if they, these are, these are, these are the things which are coming in and affecting so many youth. So how they are coping with it at this moment. And that's where this whole idea started to grow where we started created a, a, a charity called Empowering Youth. And, and she was already involved within the school settings where she was doing, um, working with those secluded children who are going through with uh, mental breakdowns in the school because of their circumstances. And I've been doing this voluntary service within school with my previous workplace where I used to go and help uh, uh, do whether the CV writing or presentation and uh, interview skills and I see a lot of children come as as not very uh, extrovert they were more introvert in completely different the way their positioning was the expressions was there were a lot of things which I noticed as well and then when we started doing our own counseling realizes this is this is needs to start from the from the youth sector because a lot of youth are going through with severe depression, severe out outlining uh, issues attached to them because a lot of parents are have uh, issues with alcohol, issues with drugs, issues with other things where there are single parents, uh, there are single mothers, single fathers, and there are a lot of things were coming in. And when we were trying to see why these children have been uh, secluded from the class, then when we started doing this workshop, then understanding when listening to them, we realized that this is coming from their home. This is all generated from their home because they are not being given enough shelter, not enough security, not enough food, not sort of a direction. They were not getting anything. So when they are coming to school, empty stomach, what they are going to do? They're going to wreck the class. They're going to behave like a, a completely different in the class because they haven't eaten. I don't know how long, because we did a, we did a, I read this um, a report in one of the, uh, one of the uh, magazine. And this lady who was running this charity in the UK has been closed down because of this whole political issues. And in that report, she says there are children in UK, in London, sleeps empty stomach. Sometimes they go to somebody else's house 
because they haven't eaten any food, they just go, if they have any pets, they go and get the food from their bulls and eat that food because they haven't eaten. And I realize that we are living in this, this country or this society where we are actually donating billions and billions of to the third world country, but we can't look after our, our own children. And this is very, very serious matter from that point of view where we started helping a lot of people, young people, trying to tell them this is, there is always light at the end of the tunnel, proactive, and listen to, listen to, uh, you know, surround yourself with the right people. And that's where we started to connect with a lot of youth. And I started to do my public speaking uh, in the group of people. I started to deliver workshops to make sure that I'm delivering what I believe on. If you don't believe on anything, how are you going to say something to others? So that's where the journey all started to capture. You know, Sam, I really appreciate that, that you know, uh, description there because so much of what you're describing is something that we're facing here in the United States as well. Mm -hmm. uh, where I live right now, the Bay mm -hmm. Area has, mm -hmm. a, uh, has a bit of an issue where even though schools are currently closed, they are keeping open the food services that those schools provide because they know that many students simply won't be getting food any other way. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge to keep in mind because there still have to be there still has to be a set of uh, restrictions in place because of the health concern, mm -hmm. because, you know, you don't want these kids gathering and getting sick, but you also want to make sure they're getting fed. Mm -hmm. And the difficulty there is how can you meet both needs? Um, if you wouldn't mind just to sort of give listeners an idea, many of them might be here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And they can understand geographically most of what they know about the United States because they're taught a basic amount in school. Mm -hmm. But the U.K. is, you know, on the other side of the pond. It's a mm -hmm. completely different environment. Could you maybe provide us with a couple of details? One. The young lady you started working with, uh, mm -hmm. if we could give uh, some, you know, uh, recognition to her, if you could give us her name. Mm -hmm. But then also you've mentioned a few things about your community. Could mm -hmm. you give us an idea of your location of your community within the UK at large, from your neighborhood to your city to where that equates to what most people have in mind, which is Big Ben or some other monument <laughs> of England, which to them is just like, well, that's what I think about when I think of the UK. And yet what you're talking about is the real world homes, neighborhoods, communities that are so similar to those here in the U.S., but I'd love to give a little bit of geography to them as well. So starting out with, who is the young lady that you uh, started working with? with kids so, that Sure. Her name is uh, Farah Hussein. Uh-huh. And she is a, a well-known well -known artist now, and she's also a what you call it, a, um, a author. Uh, and she has worked with uh, youth. Also, she has worked with uh, our uh, military personnel. Um, so she has worked with a lot of people in the U.S. as well. If you need her more detail, I'll, I'll speak to her and I will share more information about her to you. 
That sounds great. Yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and get her name, give people mm-hmm. an idea of, of mm-hmm. who it is that you were talking with. The, sure. the fun thing is I never know who might be listening. So the mm-hmm. the amazing idea is when you share this episode with someone, they mm-hmm. might say, wow, that's I know that person, but I didn't mm-hmm. realize you guys worked together. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't unaware of how long you've been working. Any of those details that can sort of sure. come out. And then sure. about your community, can you give us an idea of where your locale is? You don't have to get specific with your exact so, street address, but, um, you know, what, what, what is the, the town and the community as you were describing and its location to the rest of uh, the so, UK? So I I'm, I'm, I'm belongs to um, what I call it, uh, because we have, if, if how, how much people know about Islam. So I'm of the branch of the Islam is a Shia Islam. Now, Islam has two branches, like as uh, Christianity have two branches of uh, uh, Catholicism and uh, Postetians, correct? Same as correct. Islam have two branches as Sunni Islam and Shia Islam. So I belongs to the Shia Islam. And from Shia Islam, we have uh, um, what I call it a, a leader or a, a, a living imam, we call it. His name is Prince Karim Aga Khan. So we follow him. We are we are the followers of Prince Karim Al Khan. And if people need to know more about uh, his uh, work in the world, uh, he is not known. He, he does not want to be known as a philanthropist because he says, "What I'm doing, I'm doing for the uh, betterment of every human being, not my own uh, people who are following me, but everybody in the world." So his. Uh, uh, um, his um, well, non-profit organization, organization call is akdn.org Aga Khan Network Development.org So this is this is the person whom we follow and we have uh, been um, been part of that community and what we have with, within Islam we have about 72 different sects of Islam. So we are one of the sect of Islam. Uh, when people want to know more about it, they can read on the Google and it will tell you. So we are called smileys. I spell it out for you. Mm-hmm. So it's st- state with I S M A I L I S. So we are called smileys. Um, and we follow Prince Karim Aga Khan, and he has a very big network around the globe. So he's based in uh, Switzerland, but he has been uh, given honorary uh, citizenship for Canada, and he's also a, a well-renowned in the world. But his uh, uh, teaching is to help everybody everyone integrate with all the community within the community we work with everybody whether it's uh, any any person we do not discriminate anybody we just work with everybody we integrate with everybody we have a lot of uh, integration so our we are so we are being in the world around 14 billion people who follows him and uh, we are based in Canada, we are based in UK, we are based in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, um, Iran, uh, and uh, we are also based in a lot of European countries as well. 
and their main monument, what you call about the main monument, we call it, uh, there is a Aga Khan Center, is recently been built last, uh, last, last year in King's Cross. It's called the Aga Khan Center. Mm. And where is King's Cross for those uh, so that is might in not cent- be familiar? Central London. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your location, your township, your... So my uh, township at the moment, I'm based in Birmingham, UK. Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. And does that fall more on the east, west, south? So it's uh, on the north of uh, north of London. Uh, well, north. Uh, well, you call it north of England. We call it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That just sort of helps, you know, give people an idea because uh, so much of of what they're hearing is a place that they only have certain ideas about they know there's mm-hmm. the queen and you know they, <laughs> they 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 know maybe you know a few other things prince charles and a couple other uh parts and and maybe they even know that the pound was a form of currency but you know there there might not be as much of a connection geographically and that just yeah. helps us a little bit um and then i just wanted to move into uh, a little bit more about you know you're working with empowering youth you're mm-hmm. partnering with uh Farah Hassan, mm-hmm. um, or I'm sorry, Farah Hassan, Far, Farah Hussein. I yep. mispronounced your name there. Mm-hmm. Apologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that point, you begin working with kids, and you, as you began working outward, mm-hmm. were you able to see the goals of your mission? You know, the understanding that this was something you were experiencing, and you knew others must also be experiencing. Your goal then was to, you know, have an impact. What was the best way that you found you were able to connect with youth, especially teenagers, which at some point many adults just say, okay, I need to wait until they're in their 20s because I just can't deal with them or communicate with them. Um, It's like we speak two different languages. Yet you were able to build relationships. You were able to go in and make a connection. How was that where... Was that possible? What was your approach where kids couldn't just tune you out because what you were saying was making an impact, was connecting with them? Where did you start? Because with every relationship, you need to make that connection. How did you build that connection with them? You know, that authenticity is very key because what happens with children? Children want somebody who listen. Sometimes what happens is the biggest, uh, biggest, uh, uh, what I call it, um, uh, your asset, biggest asset if you're human need to have is the listening skills. And my learning was that when I sit with, uh, when I start talking to the y- youth, I always listen. Let them talk instead of me talking, me giving them my life history or anything like that. I'll just say, let me listen to them because every youth is different. Every youth is going through with the different challenges in their life. So me saying about my own things, it was not going to make a proper impact until I will put some sort of a weight on a different uh, stories I will bring in about myself, about those people who has gone through the same journey and trying to tell them this is what is right, real life outside. What you are seeing is here is a, a bubble. You are in a bubble right now. But outside world is completely different. 
So when I talk to my uh, present wife and present uh, stepdaughters or my own daughters, I give them the real picture of outside, what is happening outside. I listen to them. And sometimes it's difficult, as, as, as a lot of people says, I do not speak their language. And I, I, I struggle for those things as well. I remember when I used to uh, go into the class and teach people, youth people, and I used to start talking about things and they started to they started to sh create a lot of problems, a lot of noises. But then we have to go to their level where what they exactly like, what sort of music they listen to, what sort of teams they follow, what sort of a social network they are on, what sort of discussion they are going through right now. Is it the Love Island they are talking about? Is it that they are talking about what program is going on on the social media or network at the moment? What sort of games they are playing? What sort of interest they are in? So these are the things that one has to remember when you are going to open a dialogue with somebody. You need to know exactly what they are, where they are right now. If you are going to listen to them, they are going to tell you everything. The best, the best opening question would be so. Who do you follow? Which which game do you follow? Which uh, team you follow? Or what sort of things are running on the TV right now? In, uh, enlighten me. So they are going to be very, very comfortable talking about those things because they are actually connected to those things. We adults only look at what is real in the world. From them, they do not touch the reality. They are living, they are living in that bubble right now. Now this is when the reality is going to hit me, I'm going to look at that later. But right now, I'm happy where I am. <laughs> of course, yeah, within the bubble, the safety, yeah. the security. Yes. I have to wonder, too, you know, once you've made that connection. Yeah. So often, I, I'm not sure how much time maybe you can give us an idea of, of how much time you might get to have. But if you know you want to either plant a seed, uh, light a spark, mm -hmm. or, you know, sort of prepare that student for the next time or that person you're engaging with for the next time you'll talk with them mm -hmm. or maybe knowing you'll not get a chance to talk with them later, leave them with something that's going to be a key to continuing on the path that you suggested and mm -hmm. you're encouraging them to follow. Mm -hmm. What is it you're most looking for them to take away from your exchange together so that you can leave them with that sense that Someone didn't just tell me something and now I have to go figure it out on my own. But someone gave me an insight that allows me to use that to guide my own discovery after you guys are done talking. So this is a really uh, good question. And this happens with my last mentee in, in uh, London. So we had a very short window because uh, I was traveling from Birmingham to London to mentor him. And because I was doing this as a, on the voluntary basis, I used to go to the school and meet that uh, mentee of mine. The mentee of mine was uh, uh, living with his mother. He was a, her mother was a single parent. And he was very uh, enthusiastic, the boy. And he was very uh, sporty. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. He would like to play football and also, but the only problem he was experiencing right now at that moment was that his, his grades were coming very low because he was more concentrating on his football than his other subjects. So 
when I listened to him and when I started to understand that uh, he is very good with a lot of other things, but he was focusing on things completely differently. So every session when I sat with him and I used to say, so what was your achievement this week or what was your achievement on this subject? And he used to tell me, I always listen to the things both sides. When you listen to the achievement, you also look and listen to those ones which he could not achieve. It's all about how you put the words. Because every time, you know, when we say something, we always have to think about it before we actually articulate. Because when the words are gone from your mouth, they are not going to come back. So we have to be very careful what you're going to say to somebody. And that's what I've been teaching to my children. When you open your mouth, you remember when you actually articulate yourself, how they're going to go and receive by other person, whether in a good way or in a bad way, there is always a consequence for that. So when I was having a conversation with that mentee, I always listened to her and I used to articulate in a completely different ways to saying that, okay, um, in terms of your present grades, and you have been achieving those grades in a different ways, how can you put them in a completely different scenario? If I say to you, um, Mr. A, that you are doing exceptionally well in this, if you put additional energy in this area, you will be reaching to that grade as well. And those are the communication. You need to understand how you articulate or how you communicate with individual, how you communicate to that mentee, because those mentees are ready to action because they've got so much energy. They've got so much, uh, what I call it, uh, fire in them because they want to show that, okay, they have that enthusiasm. Sometimes we, we also say there is no enthusiasm, but there is a lot of enthusiasm in them. And that's how we can, it's all about the words, correct? how you're going to say, how you're going to articulate, and how that person is going to embed in them. And says, okay, Mr. D has said to me, I have that tenacity to achieve those things. If I will focus additional 10 minutes or 15 minutes to do that, I can get to that place. That's the way you do it. That's the way I used to, I am doing it. And that's how I look at changing those those uh, mentees when i coach them i uh i caught a little something there sam and i was just curious do yeah. your men do your mentees refer to you as mr d yeah all right how long have you had that uh that that name when working with mentees was that something you started early on is that something your students uh kind of uh christened you with or, or, you know, sort of started calling you Mr. D as, as like a term of affection or? No, well, what happened is every school I went, everybody sometimes, because when I say my, my full name is Salman. So people pronunciation is different. If I'll say, sure. uh, so pronounce my name and they wouldn't be able to pronounce it. So I say, well, call me Mr. Um, call me, call me Sam or call me Mr. D, whatever is easy for you so it it's depending on each mentee how they want to see it and there is a respect between both of us i always call them from their first name they always call me from my first name so or sometimes they call they put this mr d as well not all the time but sometime 
that's why I say all the schools are different. Wherever sure. I go, I tell them this is what what my name is, and they then call upon me as they they feel like it. Because this is also a building block. How you create a building blocks with those people and trying to communicate with them in a very subtle language, very subtle language. You know, it's interesting. I I, I was a teacher for a time back in early two thousand and. Mm-hmm. A lot of my students would just refer to me as Singleton. They oh. they liked they mm-hmm. they liked the fact that they could just go by the last name because mm-hmm. they felt it was respectful, but it was also made them feel comfortable. And I just sort of smiled and said, "Hey, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I I don't you know I'm not offended by it. It's my last name. You're saying mm-hmm. it with respect. Works mm-hmm. for me. And for those who felt more comfortable calling me Mr. Singleton." Uh, or Mr. S, you know, it's about finding the way that you can communicate with me comfortably so we can actually communicate afterwards, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you just have to break those barriers because sometimes what happens is there are a lot of times people will create a lot of barriers or call me Mr. This or Mr. That or Miss This or Miss That because what happens is then people are ready because the students are, they want to be open up with their teachers. They want to be uh, trying to communicate with them. Sometimes we put barriers as teachers as well to for our students. So sometimes we just have to let it be what it is. Right. Remove those barriers. Uh, you know, Sam, out of curiosity, how yeah. many schools do you see on an average year? Does it change? Do you have a certain number you try and get to every year? Um, but how often are, are you in schools or how many schools are, are you at during a given school year? So what happened is we have this uh, set of uh, schools um, during our period. So in in a month, I can be able to see two mentees uh, in a month. Um, and my previously, I used to do, uh, at this present moment, I was being given two mentees per month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can take more, more, but depending on my my other activities. I don't want to jeopardize uh, my own business because this is all voluntary services which I do uh, in the schools. There is no uh, no uh, pay for it. So it's it's just to make sure that I, I deliver something from my heart, which I, which I do for my work as well. And previously I used to do a couple of schools or schools per month. But since since I moved to Birmingham now, I've been given two schools at the moment, and mm-hmm. um, and we do uh, coach or mentee a couple of uh, students per month. Understood. And I would imagine that, given the climate that we opened this conversation discussing, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. probably appropriate for us to bring it back around to. Sure. There's been a lot of drastic sort of upheaval to what has been a normal day-to-day life for people around the world. I know it's happening in the U.S. You were describing how it's occurring in the U.K. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing in either people around you or if you feel comfortable talking about them, your mentees, as a response to this? And then also, what are you guys able to do as far as meeting your uh, goals as far as connecting, maintaining your mentorship? and getting positive results instead of just feeling like, you know, this is something that's impacting you more negatively than it is something you're able to turn into a positive. So, you know, um, so what happened? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. 
Oh, yeah. I was just saying, so, yeah, starting off, how are your mentees? What have you been seeing both from your mentees, if you're comfortable talking about it, or those around you in response to the recent changes and this, uh, you know, encouragement to be at home and to create social distancing in many ways? So since this happened, a lot of things has, uh, because exams has been canceled, um, a lot of uh, youth has started to think about they are not going to be, well, because their exams are canceled, they have been told that if your grades are not very good, they are going to be sitting in November. So they have taken a back seat now at the moment. A lot of mentees are taking a back seat. They are not actually doing what they are supposed to be doing. But in terms of certain mentees, they are looking at how they can use this time to excel themselves in different things. So my always view for my mentees is to see what is the next thing is coming in in the in the life ahead or in years ahead where you have to be ready for yourself, even though you're going to be attending college or what is your plan? Are you going to be looking for work? So what what is more important to you right now to you? Because at this moment, majority of youth are not sleeping until three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning because they are ch chatting with their friends <clears throat> or watching movies. Yeah, they go to sleep about four o'clock in the morning and they wake up about two o'clock in the afternoon. So the <laughs> whole whole night and whole day is going into this sort of a, because since the social distancing is happening, they are getting bored at home. How much time they are going to sit in front of the TV or on the, on the net? Because I think this is also creating a lot of uh, um, unsettlement with a lot of youth, not the youth, not the mentees, but a lot of youth are going through with this cycle of uh, not seeing their friends or not seeing, not having a dialogue with them. So there is a lot of things are happening right now. And it's the responsibility of parents, it's the responsibility, even though the schools are using new technologies like Microsoft Teams, where they where they are creating different areas where that they, they are inviting students to participate. So schools are closed. For example, they can't be open because of the social gathering. But in other ways, schools are open online. So they are giving enough material for the men for the students to study from home. So this is a this is a challenge where where a lot of people are experiencing right now. With the mentees, what they are doing is they have actually set their goals beforehand so they know what to work on. And if they are getting stuck, they always have this avenue where they can call upon or write an email to us and we actually go back to them and we having a conversation with them. And um, do you know of any examples you can share of maybe uh, new skills they're looking to pick up or different things they've been doing to positively fill their time instead of just getting sucked into a TV, you know, binging period or, you know, Internet binging? Well, what happened is certain certain uh, um, teenagers or certain youths have picked up in terms of, uh, you know, now everything is social media. Whether you are on TikTok, whether you are on Snapchat, whether you are on Instagram uh, or any other social media, a lot of people have learned the skill of uh, videography, 
to show their skills in terms of whether it's a makeup, whether it's a, a whether braiding their hair, whether doing other uh, other episode of uh, within sitting in the house making funny videos. So they are using those skills in the different ways. Whether they have uh, if they have got instrument, they are playing those instrument. So a lot of people are doing a lot of different things. But people who are actually enthusiastic on learning something new is like learning new languages in terms of what language they have to learn for tomorrow and also people going into sort of app development at the moment or artificial mm. intelligence at the moment mm. so these are these are the areas where people are get towards getting into because the world tomorrow is all about artificial intelligence and that's where they are going I would imagine with your experience in IT, you can mm -hmm. see how that direction is, is something, you know, that's to be encouraged, especially as, as preparation. Um, you know, Sam, uh, I imagine there's a lot of people who are listening right now who might want to make contact with you, Please. might want to understand more about youth empowerment. Uh, it might be there in the UK, right around the corner. From you, mm -hmm. but not mm -hmm. be familiar that you're someone they can contact or that you have information that can help them in whatever stage they're currently at. And there might be people from the U.S. who want to learn more about what you guys are offering, whether they can offer something similar here in the States or, you know, just make a connection with somebody who's doing the good work you're doing. Mm -hmm. For anyone out there uh, who's listening right now. What are the ways that you're available that they can find you? Email or social media or anything like that? Can you go ahead and let us know what your uh, current channels sure. are for communication? So all my social media uh, is Coach Sam UK, whether it be Facebook, whether it be uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, well, I'm also in on, on Snapchat. So, or also on a um, couple of others. So everything belongs to one name is Coach Sam UK. And anybody who would like to connect with me, they can directly connect with me at sam at samdosa.com. Wonderful. My, why my website is under construction because I'm okay. trying to uh, create some seven videos with different things. So it will be available in 15 days, hopefully. And in the meantime, you've got the social media channels available. Mm -hmm. Is there one that you'll admit you're on the most where if someone reaches out to you, they're going to get the fastest reply? Or are you just quick as a button on all of them? No, LinkedIn is the best place to communicate with me. Okay. LinkedIn's a great start. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's Coach Sam UK there as well. Yeah? Yep. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And Sam, for... Much like if you were meeting with a mentee, if mm -hmm. there's anyone listening right now and you had an opportunity to leave them with a final thought, maybe something we didn't get a chance to cover, maybe mm -hmm. something we did cover, but you know it's important enough to come back to right now. Mm -hmm. For anyone who's listening, if there's a, a last word, thought, message you would like to leave them with today, can I ask you what that would be? And take as long or as short as you want, you know, going into detail about that. But what would you like to leave people with today when we sort of, you know, close up our conversation? I will say, remember one uh, uh, line from uh, Napoleon, Napoleon Hill. If your mind can conceive it, 
If you can believe it, you can do it. Simple as that. Sam, that's a great one. I, uh, I think that's a, a really important reminder. We're looking around at the confines of our four walls, and it seems like there's only so much available to us. But as you just presented, if we can conceive of the possibility, mm-hmm. well, nothing is actually impossible for us, no. right? No, absolutely. And then this, when people will say to me, that is impossible, I say, break it down. The word impossible, it says, I am possible. <laughs> I am possible, Sam. That's a great one. I really love that, man. Thank you. That's a <laughs> pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> That's a great pleasure. ending. I'm going to go ahead and bring our conversation to a close. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening. I've been chatting today with uh, Sam Dosa. Sam, I'm going to make sure that those links are included in our liner notes. Please. Um, but thankfully, you were so polite in, you know, uh, spelling them all out for anybody listening. Those are all the best ways to reach out to Sam to let him know what you're thinking, what you thought, what questions you might have. And uh, also, if you're looking for more of that UK perspective, well, now you have somebody you can reach out to and gain some insight from. This has been (laughs) indeed. Sam, I want to thank you again. Um, looking forward to a chance when we can follow up in the future and Absolutely. see what stages uh, your coaching and mentoring have taken on. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Ed, for your time and uh, inviting me to be on your podcast. And I wish you all the best for your future endeavors as well. And what you're doing is you're doing an excellent job. And uh, and uh, I wish lot lot of lot of people will subscribe to your podcast and be uh, uh, embrace you with two hands, mate. Uh, Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. It's a very, very kind thing of you to say. This has been Storytelling with Seth. Listen to the very end when I'll include all those ways you can find me. But I want to say just one last time, you've been listening to Storytelling with Seth and my great conversation with Sam Dosa. Thank you so much and look forward to sharing another story with you next time. And that brings to a close my conversation with Mr. Sam Dosa. I want to thank him again for a great opportunity and a great conversation. And if you felt inspired, encouraged, empowered, or intrigued, thankfully Sam was kind enough to leave all those great ways to find him using social media or his personal email address, sam at samdosa.com. That's D-O-S-S-A dot com. And I was really moved by that great quote he left us with from Napoleon Hill. If your mind can conceive it, if you can believe it, you can do it. I think that's something that leaves a great impression and also a great feeling of encouragement that I'm encouraged by as I leave it with you today. If you can hear in the background, my little French bulldog Bruno has been there not only at the beginning, but now here at the end. And somewhere in the middle, he tends to calm down. But those sweet, low, rumbling snorings, I hope are also a bit of a comfort and an encouragement, much like, if not in addition to, that great quote from Sam Dosa. Once again, thank you for listening to episode number 71 of Storytelling with Seth. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to reach out to me, 
With any thoughts you might have about this or any conversation you hear on Storytelling with Seth, you can find me on all the major social media platforms, whether it's Twitter as One More Singleton, Instagram as Seth the Writer, on my website, Seth Singleton Storyteller, or my Facebook, also called Seth Singleton Storyteller. There are a myriad of other platforms, and if you think there's one I should be engaging with you on, please don't hesitate to let me know. In the meantime, if you haven't yet, I'm going to encourage you to subscribe to Storytelling with Seth and rate and review. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Robin McLean, our newest. Remember, if you would like to become a subscriber, you can do so just by clicking that support button and choosing the subscription plan that works best for you. I'm not partial. I'm thankful and appreciative of every form of support. Most importantly, those of you who tune in to listen week after week, episode after episode, and share this with friends, family, and others who enjoy a great story. I look forward to sharing each and every new story with you in upcoming episodes. And I want to remind you that if there's a story you think I need to know, that only you can tell, that only you are able to share with me, then please use any and all of those platforms I described to reach out. Let me know what your story is and how we can air it here on Storytelling with Seth. Till next time, I look forward to sharing my next story with you.